0: and this is my co-host the man. and we are excited to talk to you about this rcq season and this episode is going to help you prep for what's coming and we'll even devolve a little bit into standard and what we saw at the pro tour and some interesting decks there because we do have standard season coming soon but before we do that a bit of housekeeping things first off the patreon we first want to thank our newest patron Todd for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate the support and our community more and more is slowly growing. We're super excited about that and excited to continue growing the community and helping people get better at magic. And he has already told me about some bad decks he wants me to play on stream. With that, getting into the tiers, we talked about it last episode, but we have updated all of those names. So, The tiers are the same as before. Nothing has changed in regards to rewards, but the names are different. The photos are different. So at our uh, lowest tier is Tap That Bird and Fly, where we give you a shout out on the show and give you some Discord access. Then the next one is Tapping Two Blue Mana, followed by Kiki Jiki, in quotes, Tap and Ruin Opponent's Life. And then our last tier is Tap Furiously for Gaia's cradle. Go ahead and check those out. I've got new arts. I had a bunch of fun going online and looking up different puns and cards that were famous to tapping. So please enjoy. And for those of you who can't join our Patreon, that's okay. We really appreciate you listening and appreciate also if you spread the word to your friends, if they want a great place to listen to some magic content and hopefully get better, ask us some questions. We're happy to Uh, reach out and talk about what you guys want to hear. Speaking of uh, free, you can always follow us on our socials. All of our socials are obviously
1: free. We are pretty active on Twitter as of right now, and hopefully in the future we'll start getting more active on other platforms uh, as well. But for now, the main one we use is uh, Twitter, and then we'll be streaming as much as we can on Twitch as we find the time for it.
0: Yeah, if you haven't seen, I did stream a league of one of my niv to light up the Beanstalk decks i've also streamed two or three times of some limited we're we're starting to get we're gonna start getting that going go ahead and check us out there give us a follow we super appreciate it yeah uh, and our discord continues to be free but obviously if you sign up for the patreon we give special
1: specific uh discord access to limited channels for the people that are on the patreon and then for the coaching sessions now that we're streaming we'll start to Try to get those on stream if possible, assuming the time frame works, because I know we have some of you guys in Japan that follow us. But um, assuming we can get it on stream, then you'll have a VOD at least that you can go and follow. And then in the future, we'll try to get set up on YouTube for you guys so that we can save the VODs for you guys on YouTube. You can always reference your play and the coaching session, as well as uh, just having the VOD on a the channel there that people can enjoy for some content. And then if you need to reach, us to, reach out to us at all and you're having trouble, our email is talesfromthetap.com pod at gmail.com you can always reach us there as well
0: yeah and our different socials links content is easier than ever to find I went and changed our link tree today it is on Spotify it is on Twitter it is also on our discord so if you're looking to find another social site you don't know the name they're all there now for you to look at As we mentioned, we are going to talk mostly about the modern
1: RCQ season today. First things first, though, I need to apologize. I have been battling the flu all week. I'm finally better, but I'm still a bit congested. So if my voice sounds different than normal, I do apologize for that. But I will do my best to sound clear and concise as I normally do not. Wink. (laughs) But before we get into the modern RCQs, I wrote the entire script for the episode about A week ago, and there was a big change that got announced yesterday that I wanted to touch on before we jump into Modern, and this is regards to Standard. So most of you already probably know if you're in the competitive scene, but for those that aren't as much, we have been talking about how Standard is getting promoted more. The format is really fun. Personally, I really enjoy the format, and I'm going to try to promote it more at the store. And in general, I think the format is getting healthier. They've announced a three-year rotation instead of two-year rotation. They said they're going to try to do more for the format in general. While Train has made the format wildly more fun, pun intended, the format is no longer just like a mono-black slash black control format. It is really fun to play. A lot of my buddies that uh, I have in a standard group chat, we talk about it every day, how they're trying all kinds of stuff on Arena. And they just announced that for the MagicCon coming up in February in Chicago, which is very close to us, that they're doing the open as a standard format for the 75K, which in Vegas this past weekend was the limited format. So that's going to be standard in Chicago. And that's only like a few months away. So that's really hype. And then they also announced that going forward, the store championships Starting next year, we're going to be standard only, I believe, including not even allowing for limited. That is a pretty cool change in order to promote standard. My only qualm is, personally, as a player and as a store owner, I don't really think they're doing enough. So if you guys are on their socials or you guys are getting surveys from WOTC, some things I would recommend asking for are... Where are our store championship playmats that we used to get? That'd be awesome. I'd play some standard for a first place playmat at my LGS. You could go to multiple LGSs and try to play for multiple chances at a playmat for first place. In addition to like, maybe they have actual FNM promos for standard as opposed to the prize packs if they really want to try to promote the format because... It feels like nowadays a lot of stores will do FNM as any format. So if they're going to promote Standard, they really have to promote Standard because it's competing against Arena, which is really convenient. Uh, with that being said, though, I think this is a really exciting announcement. Uh, Pro Tour Outlaws uh, at Thunder Junction is going to be Standard in 2024. And the next RCQ season following this one that is currently Modern will be standard as well for january through march so i know myself and a lot of my buddies are pretty excited about that we want to start getting more standard going and practicing for that with that being said we will also make sure to have standard content for you guys on the podcast i think next week or for next episode apologize apologies next episode we'll have a lot more standard content to talk about like i had in the previous episode so I'll get that going for you guys as well. But uh, look forward to some standard play. And honestly, I think it's going to be a good thing for the game. Just really pressure Watsy to give us the good stuff and not just be lazy about it.
0: Yeah. And there were a lot of cool things that came out of the Pro Tour in regards to standard that kind of got me excited about it. Some of the top eight lists had like Azorius Control that was splashing up the beanstalk and like Broker's Charm and even using like Syncopate as a way to like draw off of up the beanstalk, which to me is like so cool. I want to even push that into Pioneer because uh, I love Syncopate and even did it in a deck a while back. And Golgari is really having some legs with Moss Dread Knight yeah. and Witch's Cottage. Like, it's getting really cool. It's making me think of, oh, they are doing some things to get it back. But to your point, that was part of my cousins and my first like dream of being good at magic was like, we want to get a playmat that says we were the champion of a store. And that's kind of also what drew me to this store was that you guys have the weekly leagues that. If you place first, you can get a playmat that says you were the champion of that format for that league. Oh, my gosh. Like, that was such a motivator for me outside of other things that I enjoy about it. But, yeah, yeah, I think it would do a lot for standard play if Watsi gave us some more support.
1: hundred percent. And that's honestly one of the reasons we did the seasonal playmats that we do. And we do it for other card games now. We do it, we have it for Lorcana, My Hero Academia uh white shores uh i don't have one for because their sets are a little bit different but we basically oh and pokemon as well just a lot of fun people love playing for the playmats magic used to be the king of that like every store championship you're playing for a playmat back when i was playing in the 2010s i had multiple of them and i was like this is so much fun to play for these uh as i got more competitive i'd go around to other stores to get extra ones for my friends uh i remember specifically one of my best friends at the time, Tina, she is this awesome, like 50-year-old lady that plays magic. And that just speaks to volumes to like how much anybody can play the game. And she loves cat decks. She was obsessed with them. And at the time in Kaladesh, cats were not that bad. They were pretty good. And the playmat for that season was a Johnny. So she's like, oh my God, I want this playmat so bad, but I know I can't earn it. And she's like a pretty good player because we would practice with her a lot and i'll be honest if you play with me eventually you're going to become good just by nature of i'm going to make you grind but she just didn't feel like she could earn it so i literally went out of my way that weekend and played at every store i could play at just so i could get her the play mat and i ended up with a couple so i was like here you go you got the play mat you wanted and i think she still uses it to this day um but yeah that's just uh that's our take on what we're at we're standard and uh wanting more stuff out of watsi for now though unless frank has anything to add i think we're ready to jump into some modern rcq action dive in all right for sure so modern is kind of interesting right now i was worried that after the pro tour it would stagnate a bit and it would be like oh it's all going to be kind of the same walls of Eldrain did a good job Up to Beanstalk is awesome. I guess the Soul Cauldron is awesome. There's a decent amount of uh, standard updates that actually gave the format a reason to do some changes in addition to the preordained unbanned. Preordained unbanned is phenomenal. Thank you, Watsi, for actually listening, actually unbanning something. That card is awesome to have in the hands of Modern again, but not necessarily something that was realistically worth keeping on the ban list. So... I think they did a good job. It wasn't even something that was on my radar. I was expecting like Deathright Shaman or something like that. Preordained was it? It did a good job and uh, it kept the format from being too samey, at least for, uh, at least in my opinion. Uh, with that being said, we're going to talk about some decks right now and which ones are winners, which ones are losers. What decks should you be playing? Is it time to swap decks for the RCQ season? If you're trying to earn an invite to the RC and uh we're just gonna give you our take on it and if you disagree or agree let us know in the discord and feel free to elaborate on our ideas on our ideas if you guys have any uh questions i'd love to hear from you guys i i already appreciate the feedback i get from the the people on discord it really keeps me more engaged first things first though we're gonna start with tron so i know that the last rcq you went to you were playing tron right i did um, and then we didn't really have a lot of time to practice, but I was giving you the Mindstone list that I've been trying online. It's been giving me a lot of success on Moto, but it is kind of a greedy deck list. So it can give you some really punishing games if you just get bad luck with the variants on the Mulligans or just bad matchups in general, the way the cards line up can also punish you sometimes. And it's really grindy. However, at the same RCQ you went to our buddy, Brandon Carini, who is a local of ours, he, actually got top 2 I want to say but he scooped to get the prize pool instead of the RC invite which I thought was hilarious and based he said <laughs> I'm good on the RC because uh I want to keep playing more RCQs and he's like I might not even go to the RC so he gave away the invite that he earned just to get the prize pool and um the prize support that they gave and then headed out and I was like wow incredible that's some real Tron energy right there. <laughs> but he was playing the stock version. So clearly Tron is, is a good deck still. You can win with it. Stock Tron is fine. I think the, the version that I play with Mind Stones is fine. And if you want to play a little bit more aggressive and try some uh, Team Handshake or what we saw at the Modern Pro Tour, Tron with like Dismembers. There's different variations. Like right now, Tron is the most brewable it's ever been in my opinion. There's different routes you can go with it whether or not you want to play Gigantha, etc., cetera. But um, the deck is still really powerful. The only thing I would say is that it is a harder deck to play than people realize. And if you're not ready to put the work in, I wouldn't pick it up. And if you're thinking about switching decks from it because you don't feel like you're playing it optimally, it's potentially a reason to switch decks. But um, it has recently been taking a hit. And we'll talk about that why when we get into the next decks because I think Tron right now or two weeks ago, you asked me, I think Tron's like the best or second best deck. I think Tron, to me right now, is tier 1.5. Uh, I think it's been pushed out a little bit, and it's fighting for its rights
0: as of the current like past two weeks, maybe. Which makes me just sad, only because I, right this week here at our, at our local, got my 3-1 on Tron, and was like, oh man, I had really grindy games, but felt like I navigated the waters and won two of my rounds in turns in game three and was like the power of tron power of the podcast (laughs) exactly it is with me (laughs) Uh, yeah exactly we're definitely we're definitely tron
1: simps on the podcast for sure but um if you're gonna play tron be ready to be hated on, and that's one of the reasons why I like the Mind Stone so much. People are going to be attacking your Tron consistently, and I found it favorable, at least online, where I have a lot of games that they cut me off Tron, and I have a Mind Stone, so I have um, turn three, the One Ring, or turn three, Carn the Great Creator, etc., or even like an O Stone with the ability to pop at the next turn, and I'm like always comfortable with that and that kind of works for me as i've been playing the deck for over a decade so maybe it's not for everybody but the stock version is still plenty good whether or not you play dismember is reasonable there's so many different ways you can build a deck so if you have questions about it and you want a deck list or you're not sure on your 75 feel free to hit me up on the discord i can definitely give you reasons why or why not you will like certain cards um it's easier for me if i know what you prefer to give you the navigation routes as opposed to like trying to build it from scratch so uh you might be asking why do you think tron is going downhill even though you still think the deck is strong and honestly i'd still be playing tron if i were going to rcqs uh, this weekend but the main reason this deck that has been just dominating lately is uh hardened scales hardened scales is really kind of scary for tron I actually played against this when we went to St. Louis as a team, Frank and I and Kai. I played against this in a side event. We had a really grindy match. And during that match, I was realizing, wow, like Harden Scales is kind of scary. I beat my opponent, but mostly because I understood his deck better than he did. And that is thanks to our boy Tommy, who we had on the podcast before. He used to play a lot of Harden Scales, and we had just a ton of grindy matchups back in the day. So thanks to him, I was able to navigate through that Win, but I was realizing wow, like, even though you have Karn, which is a stolen silence, and that's one sided by the way, the matchup kind of feels really rough from the Tron side, especially if you go second. And they recently just got better with walls of train, uh so it's kind of interesting to see this deck research so hard mm-hmm. but the fact that it has and the, the fact that it's such an aggressive deck kind of makes tron to me a little bit less appealing especially when you think about murktide and scam and even burn have a better time against this deck than tron would honestly even maybe four color which i'm always talking crap about 4-Color might even have a better time against this deck than Tron in general. It's not unwinnable, but I would say 60-40 to the hardened scales player. Maybe 65-35 if they're really good at the deck because it just has so many lines. I recently have been playing a lot of MTGO and I was trying to get a 5-0 with the Mindstone version of Tron just to have a little bit of validation. And in my, uh, in my 4-0, I lost to a Hardened Scales player. And it wasn't just that I lost to Hardened Scales to lose the 5-0 that hurt. It was the fact that in that game, I resolved Beseju uh, to destroy an artifact, ensnaring Snaring Bridge to keep him from attacking with a giant patchwork automaton, Karn the Great Creator, and I resolved an Ulamog to exile an Ink Moth Nexus that was going to kill me, and an Arcbound Ravager. And he still killed me because he had exactly walking ballista, the Azalith, and uh, the ability to move all the counters to the walking ballista. So I was like, man, I did everything to this guy. And he still, to be fair, had like really, really good draws. So it was kind of luck in some facet, like a little bit of variance. But he just had the tools. And this deck just has the tools now. If you look at the lists, it's a lot of four ofs, four ofs, four ofs. They really know what they're doing. They know their game plan. And cards like, uh, cards that have just come out over the past couple of years that have slowly made the deck better, but never good enough for it to like really rise and shine, have kind of culminated over time, in my opinion. And if you think about it, they've got Force of Vigor, uh, the new Ozolith, the old Ozolith, Patchwork Automaton from Kamigawa, Urza Saga, and Zabaz from Modern Horizons, uh, two rather, because Modern Horizons one gave them Force of Vigor. There's just so many cards that they get, and Urza Saga can just be such a house. I mean, you guys have played against Urza Saga already in a lot of matchups. That card is disgusting. I'm playing it in Tron for a reason. But in their deck, it's even more scary. Honestly, even scarier, I would argue, than it is an Amulet Titan when they're getting Amulet of Vigor to just wipe you off the map. The fact that they can play through your Sony Silence effects are kind of scary because Karn, you'd think, would just crush them. But they just have so many ways to kill your Karn after it resolves. It's... It's never going to happen where you just go turn three Karn off of Tron. I'm owning the hardened scales player. It's done. Because they're just going to kill it back in the crack back almost every single time. They have a lot of creatures and a lot of strong creatures that sometimes they just don't even respond to the Karn. Like I've had a lot of games on Moto where I go Karn and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to respond with some effects, maybe Arkman Ravager, whatever. They just go, okay, it resolves. And then you grab your artifact and you play that. And then they're like, that's fine. And then they just attack into the Karn. They lose some of their value, depending on what you grabbed. Maybe it was like a walking ballista, maybe an incendiary bridge. But they always kind of seem to find a way. And they have Beseju, which is good against Tron. So in general, I think this deck is really powerful. And I'm excited to see a lot more of it because not only are they good against Trump, but they seem to be beating even decks that have a lot of removal. The Ozolith is such a scary card, just moving all the counters with the Ozolith, having the ability to pop you with a walking ballista. This isn't the same Hardened Scales from like 2018 or whatever, where they were really grindy, hang your back walker, I'm going to move all my stuff over, maybe I can get a turn four win, like this deck is, it's... I mean, until you play against it, you really won't see the power. And if you have a friend that plays the deck, ask them to put it together and play test because you're going to want to know how to play against this matchup for your RCQs. Anything to add, Frank? Otherwise I'm gonna jump into the next one. No, keep moving. Alright, for sure. I'll try not to i I'll try not to bore you guys too much with my rambling. Uh the next deck that has been uh doing really well and I'm happy for them, Murktide Regent. I'm saying Murktide Regent because that's pretty much what the deck is now. If they play Darcy or Ragavan, I mean almost certainly they will, but they the main haymaker now is the Murktide and Preordain has been a huge boon for their deck. The fact that it's a sorcery has made it so much easier for them to make their Darcy's a problem. Now they're just almost certainly going to have Delirium. Before, when they had just Expressive iteration, it really kind of felt like sometimes you would get bad luck and you just couldn't get Delirium, and you just really needed a Mistress Bobble. Preordain's going to help a lot with that in general. I've been seeing a lot of these decks playing Ledger Shredder as a result, where they're getting so many double spells. Ledger Shredder has been a lot better, in general, and even though I would say Murktide kind of struggles with Tron sometimes, the Alpine Moons, the Blood Moons, whatever they choose to play, should be enough to make the matchups pretty balanced, in addition to the fact that they have so much more draw power now. Preordain wasn't a card I think was bannable in Modern at the, in the current state of the game, but it's still a card that was banned for a reason. Like, the card will let them see... A lot of action. So if they're digging for a sideboard card, they're gonna find it against you. So do not let up the gas if you end up ahead of them on the board state. Even with Tron being a kind of scary matchup, Hardened Scales pushing them out a little bit of the meta as Tron players, Harden Scales I think is actually a better matchup for the Murtagh players. They would much rather play against Hardened Scales with the fact that they have Unholy Heat, Lightning Bolt and Odawara, cards like that. And the fact that Dragon Rage Channeler is such a house against them, Murktide region is a house, they can just kind of get there. And Red has like all the best artifact removal spells, even like a Prismari command, which is kind of blow them out of the water sometimes. Obviously, the scale p- scale players can play through that kind of thing, but I personally would rather be the Murktide player every time in that matchup. Kind of the same thing with Scam. I would rather be the Murktide player against Scam. Just don't sleep on Scam. Scam is still the best deck, but personally, I think Murktide can get there. The only real scary thing they have is Shieldred out of the sideboard. Shieldred of the Apocalypse can kind of just like end the game when you guys are both in the Top Tech Wars attrition matchup. Uh, I was recently playtesting this with one of our patrons, Christian, uh, shoutouts. We were uh, playtesting the matchup. I was Scam and he was Murktide, and I think it ended up being... Two, three in his favor because Tide uh, you know, resolving was just so problematic. I think Scam right now only plays two to three Terminates uh, in like the 75. Maybe you get a couple extras out of the sideboard depending on your list, but uh, it's really hard to get rid of the Tide as the Scam player if you didn't get their graveyard before they resolved it. And the double grief action plan doesn't always get there because of how powerful Expressive Iteration is. They're just going to get to find cards. So. Scam's still the best deck, but I think Murktide has like a pretty favorable matchup there. Merktide has been coming back and they have had a really good resurgence. The
0: next deck that I think has been doing pretty well, unless uh, you have something to add, Frank. Yeah, I just one of the things that was my mistake, and this could be because of my lack of knowledge of modern and what it was previously and what it is now, but I was like, eh, pre-ordering coming in is like okay, but I've played against a handful of Mark Tide players now with preordained, and I've like felt the power of not anything crazy happening outside of them being more consistent and getting what they need when they need. So, oh, I'm playing Tron; they needed a counterspell; Oop, they've got it. I've seen it move up in a good way, just because it it's just made the deck hum a little bit better.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, honestly. And uh, to add on to that, actually. If you were going to choose to switch to Murktide because you see it has Preordain now and you think it's a lot better. Honestly, I think Murktide a pretty easy deck to pilot. It's just uh, what, like what Frank was saying. Uh, giving Preordain to these players that were already good at Murktide really kind of showed which players were really good. The guys that knew how to just like navigate through the deck and make it flow the way they wanted to. Obviously variance is going to kill you sometimes, but you just get to see the cards you want to now if you're playing properly. And you know, sometimes you're going to lose a bad luck, but more often than not just the fact that Priority Digs 3, Expressive Iteration Digs 3, it's a big deal. Now they've got 8 of them in addition to Dragon Range Channeler digging uh, with the the Surveil trigger. It's going to be pretty scary to play against these guys if uh if you're fumbling and they've got these sideboard cards in blue red now the only thing i would say is if you want to play this deck one obviously you have to know your lines but this deck punishes you not for not knowing your deck but for not knowing your opponent's decks the nature of playing a tempo deck you really have to understand when you can tap out and when you can't and what to counter and why and if you don't know a lot of the decks in the format, especially the ones you see in the tournament, obviously, you're going to get punished. And it is worth practicing against fringe decks with Merktide. I would say, just to at least have have had seen their deck. Uh, like, oh, maybe nobody plays Heliod combo in your area. But have a guy proxy it up or sleeve it up or ask a friend that happens to have the deck. Build it. Play against it. Find somebody that plays Affinity. Find somebody that plays 8-Rack. Like if you don't know how to play against these fringe decks with Merktide, you will get punished as opposed to like, oh, I play Merktide a lot. I know the lines. I know how to play against Tron, Scam, Hardened Scales now, Burn, etc. That's all fine, but you really won't see... The punishment until you're playing against these decks that you haven't played against and you're countering the wrong spell and then they know what your game plan is so they're navigating around it because the guy playing the fringe deck always knows his deck to a t so you just don't want to be the guy that's like yeah i lost to uh x y and z deck uh that nobody plays anymore from 2016 but uh with that being said the next deck i think is uh kind of a winner and if you stuck with the deck. Good for you. It was a good choice. Four-color Trade Binder, as I like to call it, because this deck sucks. (laughs) Just kidding. This deck has gotten a lot better. And we saw how bad it was at the Pro Tour. Like, it it really was a bad deck at the Pro Tour. And the good players exposed that it was a bad deck. Tron has a free win against it. And Tron was one of the best decks at the time. So there was just, like, no real reason to play the deck. Tron, suffering a little bit lately, has kind of given the deck room to explore but we've also seen the addition of up the beanstalk this card seems innocuous and it doesn't seem like it's as strong as it actually is when you read it and i even fell victim to this myself when i read it i was like wow that's really good but what i should have said is wow that card is really 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 good uh it's a two mana green enchantment up the beanstalk is green and one generic enter the battlefield you draw a card if you cast not resolve cast any spell any spell with five or more mana value you get to draw an additional card that effect stacks if you have multiple copies in play so if i say go turn two up the beanstalk turn three up to beanstalk a ley line binding which is pretty slow but plausible i would draw two cards off the ley line binding that i cast I would have drawn two cards off of the ETB triggers and I would have gotten your best spell off the board uh, permanent rather uh, in theory. So like, that's just like a pretty medium slow version of what this card can do. Now you can use this with evoked creatures and now all of a sudden solitude and fury are even scarier than they've already been. And they've already been pretty scary. I would say that the four color deck using fury and solitude has been kind of mid-tier where now it's super s tier they're doing similar things to what scam is doing the four color deck has always just wanted to be the card drawing the most cards and now they are definitely always drawing the most cards up the beanstalk is a really big boost i think it gives the card the deck what it needed the fact that you're drawing off your Furies, your solitudes and your Leyline bindings which are typically all four ofs is a big deal. But some of the decks have been playing Elishnor Mother of Machines, which is a 5-drop. And now it's even better that you've been playing her because she's giving you more bonuses from that. Not to mention, I think future copies of Octa Beanstalk give double draws if you have a mom in play. So that's that's just another bonus I thought off the top of my head. I could be wrong about that. You might want to double-check me, but I'm pretty sure it's an enter the battlefield effect. It is an enter the battlefield effect. Gross. Yeah, so like this deck has gotten pretty scary strong. The One Ring doesn't give a draw off the beanstalk and neither does omnath but here's the thing those cards already draw you cards so now like everything in the deck says draw a card and omnath and the one ring are good for their own reasons they don't have to prove themselves i think this deck is a legit contender unlike its performance at the pro tour it's partially why i would stop playing burn if you were on burn i think burn is a big big loser because tron's going a little bit downhill so you'll see less people playing Tron thinking it's a free win. And you're going to run into a lot more Omnath. And that deck was already really popular, even when it was bad. Some things to keep in mind, just to make sure I got all the resolutions through. The evo Creatures count, I mentioned that. You would think five drops are hard to cast, but in modern, they're free. <laughs> and then Leyline Binding. The fact that it's a one drop, but it's six CMC. Like that, Synergy without the Beanstalk is insane i mean we were seeing it even in pioneer like you mentioned you're playing you're playing bring to light decks it's kind of scary i could even see bring to light kind of making a comeback in modern because Tibble is pretty scary uh that's what you're doing in pioneer and it's really good in pioneer although i think i think Tibble is actually less scary in pioneer to me i think it's more scary in modern that my opponent resolves a Tibble. you know what i mean yeah like i just don't want them to have that huge planeswalker uh they're kind of hard to deal with like how does Scam deal with uh, Tibble? You know they don't have Dreadboar like they wouldn't Pioneer, right? Besides that, Delighted Halfling kind of really likes up the beanstalk because now, in addition to Renin Six, you're just like I have eight two drops that I'm super happy to cast. My Delighted Halfling mana looks even better into my turn three. The ramp is going to matter even more now, and getting Busetju locks should be even easier for your Tron matchup now that you're drawing so many cards. I think this deck will reward the players that have been sticking with it, but I don't know if I would switch to it, mostly because it's really expensive. You can, if you can borrow the deck for a tournament, then yeah, definitely practice it. But um, it's basically a goldfish deck, all things considered this deck definitely wants a sideboard guide more than most like don't go into a tournament without a sideboard guide prepped don't make a mistake on sideboarding it will punish you because i can't think of another deck that draws more cards and so because you're almost guaranteed to hit your
0: cyber cards make sure they're actually in your deck and part of that too is like right if you're drawing so many cards you may have to move to discard and knowing what to keep when is super important and with Right, the speed of modern leyline binding can almost always, if you're with fetches, turn on your leyline binding when you have two lands, and so this up the beanstalk, you're casting your spells for free with, you know, the elementals. Like the value train is so much faster than what we're seeing in standard and yeah. pioneer, and. If there isn't a reason or you haven't found a reason yet to join the Patreon, join the Patreon simply so that we can, A, help you with sideboard guides. They're so important for Modern. It's, I cannot state it enough. Yeah, very true. We will definitely help
1: you with your sideboard guides. And I honestly find it really fun to make them because it just gives me a a fresh look at the deck every time I make one. And I will make a new sideboard guide for the same deck every time i go to a new tournament because i just don't know what i'm going to play against but it kind of mentally prepares you like well what do i actually expect to see ah well i for sure want to know what i'm going to do against these four decks uh depending on what tournament or format you're playing but um one other thing i've been seeing in the four color decks a lot has been Emmercool, the Promise end in the sideboard it's pretty scary i had one resolved against me Moto. never feels good just like it wasn't standard if that if that hits the board you're gonna usually cry but um I don't know if it's for real uh beyond that like what Frank was saying they're, they're gonna be having so many extra they are gonna be they're ready to discard them to hand size that makes the elementals even scarier they might just go well I'm gonna pitch this anyway so I might as well just pop a solitude and you might even start seeing more ephemerates as a result just because they might want to just keep some cards around it's like they're scamming but unlike the Rakdos deck they get to actually go back to seven cards <laughs> so yeah I'm almost convincing myself to play four color at that point point. and since we're on the topic of ephemerating I guess we could just jump into the Rakdos deck some people call it Rakdos mid-range we'll probably continue to call it scam on the podcast because uh that's kind of just what the deck is doing it describes the nature of the deck to a T and this deck continues to be the deck to beat in my opinion it was the best deck at the pro tour and it is still the best deck in the format i've been keeping an eye on what the metagame looks like shifting every week week to week you can look at the last seven days on goldfish you can look at mtg uh, mtg top there's a lot of different websites that will give you aggregate data you could even just look at the recent five o's that uh, wizards posts with that being said scam has pretty much not moved from number one where all the other decks kind of shift around a little bit scam just stays number one i think that is a testament to the power of the deck people are willing to stay playing it people have been switching to it people aren't switching away from it and it is kind of worth it after i've been playing the deck for a little bit i really see the power uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker decisively winning the three job war in Season Pyromancer. I don't think you're going to see very many scamless playing Season Pyromancer. I did play against one guy on MOTA that was playing Mardu and he had Ephemerate. Uh, it was kind of cute. So he had Season Pyromancer because of that. But uh, I don't really see the point. I think I was talking to Tommy about it and we both agree that one, Ephemerate is bad in scam, two, Season Pyromancer isn't the way anymore. Uh, another thing to mention, I guess, is uh, Wild of Eldrin came out the set has been phenomenal. i have been really happy with it. Love the flavor. Love the artwork. Love the cards. I think I had a interaction with Caleb Derwood on Twitter where he asked everybody what their favorite cards were from the set. And he was talking about how he loved Regal Bunny, Bunnycorn. And I was like, man, that's a good point. I don't know what card I like the most. And he was like, I agree. The set is kind of cracked. Like there's so many good options. And then later on, I remembered, you know what? I actually really do like Certain cards from the set. I know Frank is super high on Horned Lock Whale. I think my favorite card from the set is the Blossoming Tortoise. However, we did get Not Dead After All, which is just an upgrade to the Undying Malice or Feign Death effects, and the scam players seem to have liked it. The card is getting played in all the lists as a four of, and with good reason. It's just a strict upgrade. There's not really anything. To talk about there that's special. Even the strict upgrade is like negligible. But I did have an interaction as a Tron player that kind of matters. So the aura that you get from the roll is a colorless enchantment that matters because if you Ugin minus, it doesn't get rid of the, the wicked roll. So I had a game that it didn't matter, but I minus an Ugin against scam and won. But I was like, hey, why did I take a damage from the wicked roll? And then I went back in the game log and it's like, oh, yeah, the wicked roll is colorless. So when exiled everything, the wicked roll saw its way to the graveyard and triggered. And I was like, ah, of course. It's not that obvious to you as a player. You might not have noticed that. Honestly, most of these kind of effects that make tokens always say the token is a color. The rolls are just rolls. So there was no reason to assign them a color. And when you put the token on your creature in limited play, even at pre-release, usually you're putting your card on top of it. So if you missed that interaction or if you didn't realize that they were colorless, this is uh, the heads up, fair warning. If you are at one life, that wicked roll will get you. You got to be real careful. It itself is what has to go to the graveyard, I believe, not the creature. That's kind of like all the updates with Scam. There's nothing too new sideboarding wise. I, I think you should be prepping tournament to tournament. If you're already playing Scam, you are the deck to beat. So just be ready for people to be ready for you. But with like all things magic related, confidence is a very key factor in your games. You know, you got to trust yourself. Just play to your outs. If the cards give you what they give you, then it should reflect in that. And if they... Don't give you a good variance, then you know, sometimes you just have bad beats and can't really avoid them. But you got to be honest with yourself about the bad beats. It's not always bad beats. Sometimes we do make misplays, even if we don't realize them at first. Next deck Cabal Coffers, Mono Black. This deck has been kind of floating around tier two for a while now since Modern Horizons came out. I love Cabal Coffers. So I've been trying it out over the past couple of years, really just wanting it to do a thing couple years maybe a year and a half i can't remember how long it's been since *On horizons 2 but um since the card came out i was a big fan of the black white cards in the set and cabal coffers was one of the big ones for me Um, it's been slowly kind of getting pieces it feels like now more than ever it's actually a contender it's kind of in a similar spot to tron in my opinion where they're both big mana decks that people don't want to play against but if you play them properly they can be scary and they both like karn the great creator I would I would posture that Tron is still the better deck and the more real meta deck. But if you play Cabal Coffers optimally, this deck is just as legit as Tron. As a Tron player, I could see myself playing this at many tournaments and feeling pretty happy about it. The One Ring is pretty good for the deck, just like it is with Tron. Same with Karn the Great Creator. One of the good cards that they got that we didn't get as Tron players was Orcish Bowmasters. Orcish Bowmasters is a nutty card and uh one of the reasons why scam has just been dominating but it is pretty good in cabal coffers actually because uh one of the things we liked a lot about wilds of all train was bargaining and the orc army is a great bargain fodder card if your opponent isn't drawing cards doesn't matter. I'm second the one, 1-1, one, and I'm going to use it for the Mir, which we've actually been seeing some Cabal coffer decks playing Basich. I've seen some lists running around that have four Orcish Masters and some number of like talismans that are black mana, just so they have talismans to sacrifice as well if they don't get the Orcish Master tokens. the Mir can hit the 1-ring. It can hit Karn. It can hit Shieldred. It can even hit like a 3-drop if you needed to. Uh, the card in Cabal coffers is kind of a boon if you build your deck around it. You could even have like a Swiss Army knife with like a couple four drops or three drops that are just like one of's uh spicy tech. It also allows you to trim on some cards if you really wanted to just play like three cards instead of four for whatever reason. The Prestige the Mirror can kind of facilitate that. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but there's some some probability here. And then they've also been playing Troll of kasad Dun, which is uh the black land cycler from Lord of the Rings. So that has been allowing them to. So that has kind of been allowing them to trim on some lands like some of the other decks have been doing in addition to the fact that they play cling to dust and i think some of these lists are playing like two to three cling to dusts which don't get me wrong i love that card cling to dust is amazing uh for those that don't know it's a one mana black instant from theros beyond death pretty innocuous card nothing special but it says um it's an instant speed exile effect you can exile a target card out of any graveyard if you hit a creature you're gaining three life so hey there's your burn matchup right But if you hit a non-creature, you draw a card. So it's like a pretty solid draw effect, honestly, sometimes. For one mana, you know what? Why not? But with the troll, it's like you're feeding it, so you can guarantee get that three life in a pretty slow deck. Sometimes it can get you that win against burn that you were struggling against.
0: Go ahead. I was actually going to say, I faced a, in the last Pioneer RCQ I did, an Esper control list while I was on blue-white control. And one of the reasons I almost lost was because of Cling to Dust, because they were just using it to escape it again and again to draw more cards. Yeah, And that was one of their biggest draw engines was Cling to Dust, which I thought was crazy tech. Yeah,
1: a lot of decks back in the day would play like one because it's like, oh, I can just escape it. But I've been seeing multiple copies in some of these Kvalakov decks, which I've been like kind of surprised about. But at the same time, I like the card. Graveyard Hate in Modern is kind of never the wrong answer. It will help you against Murktide especially, which has been having a strong resurgence. So maybe that's why they're playing extra copies. But the Troll of Dun, in addition to being good synergy with Cling to Dust, is good synergy with March of Wretched Sorrow. <laughs> let me retry. Re- March of Wretched Sorrow. Uh, that card is the black uh, X spell from Kamigawa, where we were seeing a lot of the white one. Uh, march of otherworldly light otherworldly light thank you that card was really good a lot of the blue white control decks were liking that card the black decks were playing march of rich sorrow sorrow but they weren't like in love with the card i have been seeing lately that they have been liking the card and one of the reasons i think is the troll being such a good pitch for the card and it gains you life so one of the things that cabal coffers struggled with was just kind of staying alive and this is facilitating a little bit more of that if you're a fan of Tron or Karns the Great Creator, but you don't want to put into the work of really mastering Tron, this is a good deck to pick up. It's honestly super easy to play. I think that the deck really doesn't have too many difficult lines or interactions. You're not playing the Bad Tutor anymore, which was, um, I forgot the name of it, but it was a Suspend spell from Mana Horizons. Um it's not profane tutor, is it? Yeah, it's profane tutor. They were playing that in the Cabal Conference deck, and I just thought it was not good. Um, and I'm glad that they got off of it because it just wasn't really doing anything. And uh that's kind of like the only weird card you have to play, knowing when to float it and what what card to tutor for. I thought it was kind of cute when they were playing cool the Anstorn, but like playing for cool the Anstorn right now is kind of dumb. And then it just makes your deck worse to have it in the 60. Uh, in addition to it being easier than Tron to play, you're going to have a lot of early game removal that Tron doesn't get to play. And like Tron only gets like Dismember. And <laughs> that's a black spell. You know what I mean? So this deck can play actual removal in those colors. You can have like Fatal Push, whatever. Hedge up the early game matchups that you might be scared of as a Tron player. Hardened Scales is making a comeback. Fatal Push is good against them. Tron doesn't have a similar card that does the same thing without sacrificing a fifth of their life total. Uh, the only thing you will struggle with more as the black player is that uh, they. Tron players get green, so they can play some green stuff and besage you. You don't really have a way to deal with artifacts and enchantments that well. And so if they can cut you off of kobal Coffers, you're likely not going to have like a Feed the Swarm in your deck. Um, I don't think any of these decks right now are playing Feed the Swarm, even in the sideboards. So that could be kind of a weakness. I think another addition that's been really cool frank mentioned it earlier we've been seeing witch's cottage come out in standard even a little bit in pioneer and now it's making its way to modern which i'm a fan of because all those cards from that throne of eldrine cycle kind of funny that eldrine brought back some eldrine but um all those five cards one of them is banned in modern if you guys forgot mystic sanctuary is actually banned in modern and it's from the same cycle as witch's cottage now is witch's cottage on the same level no but It is still a pretty good card, and um, besides the green one, which just made a food, uh, I thought all the ones in that cycle were pretty cool. But Witch's Cottage is cute, and your deck has very few creatures. So what Witch's Cottage does is if you have three swamps in play, if it's your fourth land, it puts a creature from your graveyard on top of your deck. So with your deck only having Bowmasters and like Shieldred and whatever your third creature is, if you even have one. Troll. Exactly. The troll... Synergizes pretty well with Witch's Cottage. If if you uh, need a creature late game, I think it has like it has to be blocked by three creatures or something. It Does. has like super menace. Yeah, super menace. So if you put that on top of your deck, you have Cabal Coffers. By now, it's seven or it's like seven or eight mana. Who cares? You have Cabal Coffers that could actually win you some games. It's a it's a third of their life total or more if they're playing a lot of fetch lands. Uh, just put that guy on top of your deck, win the game. You already have a shieldred out, maybe, so you aren't going to legend rule your shieldred. That's your target. In addition to the witch's cottage, the deck plays like seven or eight copies of field of ruin and demolition field, whatever ones you pick. It's the same card, but um, having that many copies makes it actually good in the Tron mirror. You're like, I'm the better Tron deck, and then being able to pop man lands and all any number of random spells um, or start rather lands rather is really nice and just grabbing your swamps out of your deck slowly kind of thinning your deck out of these um bad lands while getting the good ones off your opponent's field getting rid of of hollow storm giants getting rid of den of the bugbears uh and honestly even getting rid of their dual lands a lot of these decks are playing like one copy of a triome one copy of uh three different triomes or like two shock lands or grix's death shadow which is like one a one swamp deck sometimes so If you're playing against Shadow, you could just be like strip mining them uh, or wasteland rather. But um, against Scam, you're like, okay, now you only have two swamps and two mountains. Make it work. Uh, Against like Murktide, it's like islands and mountains only, you know? Uh, And that's just kind of just incidentally in your deck. It's not like you paid any cost because of the nature of being a mono black deck. You're kind of cooking.
0: And that's a big shout out to one of our locals, Joe, because Joe strictly plays mono black coffers. And I've played Tron into him. I'd say two or three times now, I feel horrible every time. He always has a demolition field or a field of ruin, and I just cry over yeah. and over again. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's one of the reasons why I like the Mind stone so much. I'm like, man, you got to have the Mind Stone. you got to be ready for the demolition field. you got to force him to have it. But uh, yeah, shout-outs to Joe, and uh, shout-outs to uh, Mono Black Coffers, uh, honestly making comeback. Okay, so uh, we've been going on for kind of long now, and... We've been talking about not making the episode super long for you guys anymore. So I think I only have one more deck to talk about. And then I can skim over some other ones just to give like a brief cliff notes. Uh, The next deck I really want to talk about, and this deck is kind of hype for me. I like the deck a lot. I'm not sure if it's going to have real legs, but shout outs to Will Kowalczyk, one of my uh, homies, local player in the area. He just recently top aided when we were at St. Louis. I think that was on Legacy, but he used to play this deck here. Heliad Combo, uh, Celestia Combo, Devoted Druid, whatever you want to call the deck. He used to play this here all the time, and he almost won a playmat from one of our modern seasons, just grinding with that deck. And he would just show up in 4-0 and 4-0, but he didn't always have a ride because he's so young. Um, one of the best young players in our area. He's a super good player. If you get a chance to play with him, definitely put some respect on his name. He looks like a child, but he's i probably better at Magic than I am, honestly. Speaking of the deck, it is Heleta Combo, Selesnia Combo, what is it, a Vizier Combo. It's got many names. It's just the generic green-white Eladomri's Call dot deck, uh, even though they didn't play Eladomri's El Call in the past. The deck has recently gotten Agatha Soul Cauldron. I think this deck is the big winner for that card, and it's like the only card besides maybe green-black Yakmoth that's kind of giving us results with Soul Cauldron it is the most modern power level deck that's playing the card consistently. There are some other brews that have been using the the, 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 the card, so keep that with a uh, keep that in mind when i talk about this, but um the only other deck in a similar power level i would say is the there's a deck that Aspiring Spike was brewing that's like mono blue activated abilities matter basically and you're playing like Rona, Emery, infinite mana with uh, the uh, Mox Amber, so generic uh breach stuff. Probably a better version of breach maybe, but I think Heliod Combo really kind of nails it with the Soul Cauldron. One of my favorite things about it is that your Walking Ballista, which can be sometimes a hard card to find, is like, hey, if it's in the graveyard, all my cards are Walking Ballista. So now it's kind of a lot better. The deck has only been putting up like 5 O's. I haven't really seen any big, big wins from it. And last week it was like top 12, top 10 in Modern. This week I'm not really seeing it as much. So I'm hoping people start playing the deck I don't know if it's going to put up enough results to be like a legit tier one, but I would, I would posture it's at least tier two power level right now. Secret winner deck from Wilds of Aldrin that people might sleep on. If you choose to play this deck at a tournament and play it well, you can definitely get rewarded from people not knowing what your deck does. And also the fact that people haven't really been playing against Agatha Agatha Soul Cauldron as much. So they might not know uh, all the interactions, the fact that you can hit their cards out of their graveyard because Agatha Soul Cauldron sometimes is like pseudo graveyard hate. And even though you're playing Coco with kind of few targets, usually with Coco, you want to have like 30 plus targets. I think this list has like 26 or 28 if you include Ballista. The cards that you're hitting are such high impact that it's like even if you just hit one guy with these Cocos, it's kind of a big deal. And you're playing at instant speed on their turn. You're digging through your deck. So it's kind of doing more stuff than just like building a big board state like you would with like an elf ball. Um, The cool thing about it, too, is if you hit a Ballista off of Cocoa with this, it's not actually a dead card. You just let the Ballista go to the bin and grab that thing with Agatha's Soul Cauldron, and you're kind of good to go. Once you have a Ballista with Agatha's Soul Cauldron, though, like, you're really cooking. Uh, Kiliad is ready to kill, like, right off the bat. You still have Spike Feeder and all these other cards that kind of have these weird, quirky synergies. So... There's a lot of stuff that your opponent has to really pay attention to and removal isn't always removal against this deck. Sometimes people can like move their counters around and in response to what you're doing, they can go off and do a bunch of stuff. I remember seeing, uh, like I said, my buddy Will was doing all kinds of nutty stuff with this deck against people. This is the kind of deck where if you're really good at it and your opponent doesn't know how to play against your deck optimally, it's going to feel like you're playing two different formats. Uh, with that being said, though... Like I said, I haven't seen it put a lot of results up yet, so it might not be a legit contender, but I'm hoping that we'll see more of it in the future and then uh, get a better idea of where it's at as a deck. With that being said, other decks to think about. Burn. I think Burn is uh, downhill right now. You can still play it, I just don't think it's as good as it was a month ago. A month ago, have you told me uh, what deck to play? I would have said burn, master burn, go crush it. The good burn players are winning tournaments. Rolling Vortex in the main is crushing. Living in has kind of been suffering lately to give them a little bit of a mention. So that's one cascade deck fewer to worry about that you might not even see. And there that's where burn is supposed to shine. And then rhinos is kind of just like too good of a deck to consistently beat. So even though burn can beat rhinos, can you beat rhinos and scam and omnath and murktide? and yagmoth i'm not sure uh not to mention hammer time has been making a comeback i'm not sure if it's going to continue making a comeback but we've been seeing a lot more aggro decks uh in the format lately which is nice and amulet titan has also been having a resurgence as well yagmoth was the other soul cauldron deck although a lot of the deck lists still don't choose to play it if they don't want to it's kind of optional for them which i can respect beyond that we've been seeing some domain zoo which is kind of cool a lot of our local players have been playing it to uh, some good results, and online it's been putting up some decent results as well. Domain Zoo, I don't remember if it got anything new from Wells of Eldrain. I think it's just like the position and the format that it has is pretty solid. Unfortunately for creativity, they haven't really been... um, getting any new toys, and since uh, the wondering came out and it was such a good card against them, it feels like that's kind of where the deck is. We'll see. Maybe the, in the future it gets better. For now, we're kind of just seeing that creativity is kind of suffering. It doesn't really get to abuse off the Beanstalk. They are a good Leyland Binding deck. Honestly, I don't even, I don't even think the deck is that bad against like Scam, but it just doesn't seem like it's good against Murktide and also four color creativity just seems like a hard choice right now there's a lot of decent options what to play and why we've given you our takes if you guys have any uh agreements or disagreements or stuff you want to elaborate let us know love to hear from you guys uh that's all i got for the modern format though as of the last couple weeks
0: yeah and to kind of just add on to what Stan has been saying it's really important, whatever deck you're playing, wherever you're going, that you are getting reps in and that you are also not only getting reps and knowing your own lines, but knowing what other people are playing. Because it's a big deal and one fetch the wrong way, one, oh, I misordered this just slightly, ends the game yeah definitely some decks will punish you more than others for that but
1: the more you know of all the decks in the format the better it is Moderns kind of always been that way like if you're the master of your pet deck then that's probably a better choice than a meta deck assuming your pet deck is playable i'm not saying like play 16 land 16 stone raid ponza oh you're the master of ponza you're gonna have a chance you know <laughs> it's not always that way but if you are playing uh, a competent modern deck that is viable like merfolk for example merfolk is playable if you are really really good at merfolk and you have a list that's prepped for the meta you're playing different uh, copies of certain cards to prep for the format and you know what all your opponents are playing and why and what decks to expect you can kind of you know ace a tournament but like like we said it's just it's just about the reps get your practice in come to the shop we'd love to have you here you know get some practice if you're in our area and if you can't because you're not in the area get on the discord hit us up uh we'll definitely find time to play with you if you can get on the patreon and if you can't i will definitely at least try to talk with you in the discord i I love getting the engagement in on there so like even if you can't sub to the patreon i will definitely at least try to talk with you on the discord and and give you tips or uh, ideas work with your deck lists and uh shout out to those that are on the patreon we're almost at double digits now we're pretty hyped about that We're looking forward to keep uh, helping you out with uh, your future endeavors and your uh, mono white Tron lists, if you will. And uh, shout outs to Christian. I think my boy Josh said Christian was about to hit me up for another coaching session. And uh, I I think you said Todd wanted to play, wanted you to play mono white Tron. So uh, if you see some meme stuff on the Twitch, uh, just know we are kind of memers and dreamers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I did think that, man, I'm not going to stoop so low as to like, sell pictures of my feet on the internet but apparently we're getting pretty close if i have to play white tron (laughs) for for patrons yeah but uh at, at least that's fun and i will lose my tickets with uh with pride yeah for sure but again thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting us so far we are so excited to get to double digits on patreon uh we're using all of that to just pour back into the podcast, make more content. We do this because we love magic and love the community that we have and just wanted to grow. Big shout out first off to Stan for one leading this episode. I'm typically our big grinder. I want to be hitting RCQs as much as I can, but with my schedule, I haven't been able to. So Stan has been putting in the good, good work to get this out here for y'all. So first, shout out to him. Well, shout out to Frank for,
1: first of all, putting on a performance. I saw his show yesterday. And uh, the reason why he's been so busy is because he's been uh, doing rehearsals and now they're finally doing the performances for his uh, Disney's Newsies. And uh, I I love the show, man. That that was awesome. We went with uh, one of our
0: magic friends and uh, had a great time. Yeah. And how great for the small magic shop. I go to that's kind of near my house that turned into me becoming great friends with Stan, having a podcast together, and now bringing into the world of theater. I am so grateful and sorry for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just it shows just a testament to power of this game and how I can, you know, bring you so much more than just uh, beating up on some nerds. Also, shout outs To uh, MTD Chicago, their YouTube channel, it's growing, getting huge shout out to Sal and the great work that he's doing. If you want to check out Paper Magic in the area, please visit his YouTube channel. Shout out to Nancy Steroids for making our intro and outro music that you hear all the time. He has also been releasing some new albums. He kind of has a lo-fi kind of vibe. He also collaborates with a lot of rappers and makes beats for them, too. You can see that stuff on there as well.
1: If you've been on the Twitch at all, you've been listening to some of the music as well because uh, he gives us permission to use
0: it on Twitch. Yep. So I do I do kind of set his stuff in the background sometimes uh, when we're on MTGO. Not so much on Arena, but definitely in MTGO. And I'll be incorporating that more as soon as I can figure out how to get... Just his stuff, not stuff he's collaborated on. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Just Because I don't team. have their permission, you know. Exactly. But Spotify has been a little finicky for me. But yeah, go check out their stuff. He's doing really great things. Um, Really appreciate all that he's done for us as well. And shout out to borsack Gaming for allowing us to record in the store. Please, if you're looking for singles, some of these Wilds of All Drain cards, you want to get some booster boxes, or I mean, draft booster boxes to draft with your friends, get them here, order from here, or even uh, Dr. Who, it's coming out soon. True. Yeah, like if you guys want to support the store,
1: uh, we definitely appreciate it. And we will ship to you if we don't have a product that you want in stock and you want to support us. Feel free to even email us at our customer support um, email. It's uh, store at borisatgaming.com. If there's a product you're looking for or singles, I could probably find them for you. And we're happy to support uh, the community. And if you guys want to support us back as a store, we definitely appreciate it. Or even just come visit us if you're in the area. Come play in one of our tour- tournaments. We'd love to have you. You know, I'm always looking to meet new players.
0: Yeah, and we never said it, but we have uh, on Tuesdays, we've got Pioneer, we've got Modern on Thursdays, we've got Draft on Fridays, and Commander is also Wednesdays and Fridays. So if you are local, those are the dates and times to check out. I can't remember when, but we have an RCQ in October. Modern. Modern. (laughs) Be prepared. All that we've talked about. The hype. That is our episode. Thank you so much for checking us out here at Tales on the Tap. keeping giving us a listen and uh, be looking out for more content in regards to uh, standard as we get prepared for beyond this. And then sooner or later, excellent's coming. Yeah. So a lot to be excited about. Oh, my God. Jurassic Park cards. Uh, okay, next <laughs> time, next time. Next time. So thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you again soon. Have a good one.